0: that I invite you to turn to John chapter 15 in your Bibles. As I begun to prepare the message this week, I usually, when I fill in for Pat, take a pretty large section of Scripture and uh, work through it, try to give us a bigger view, kind of like what Pat has done with the book of Hebrews lately. But I got to go on in John 15 and I never got past verse 2. So uh, we're going to do two verses this morning. We'll bounce around a little bit in the Bible. Um, but uh, by God's grace, I pray we will find it profitable to spend our time in the first two verses of John chapter 15. Well, living in Nebraska, many of us are well aware of the work a farmer must do to care for his crops. Whether it is wheat, corn, or soybeans, the sight of a farmer working and tending in his fields to maximize the yield of his produce is a familiar one to us. Even if you've only worked a garden in your backyard and you know the care, the tending, the weeding, the work that must be done to the garden to produce a good crop and not be overrun with weeds, not have the animals like the rabbits come in and eat it all gone down to the very ground, or the pests that tend to show up every so often and start having their share of your fruitful crop. Um, Even if uh, you're not too familiar with gardening, uh, you know what even happens to your lawn if you let it go a little too long. It starts to look pretty shaggy. The weeds get going. Uh, Basically, you need to tend to it. You need to tend to it. You need to take care of it. Well, that's somewhat what we have with Jesus today. And before I dig into the parable or the analogy that Jesus tells today about the vine and the vine dresser, we want to do just a little bit of background. John 15 is the night before Jesus is crucified. Here on this night, Jesus is now spending time with eleven of his twelve disciples. One of them has left him. Judas, we are told, in John 13, left to to betray Jesus. Jesus knows this, of course. The disciples aren't fully aware of what's going on yet with Judas, but they're about to find out, as is everybody else. Judas will betray Christ to the Jewish religious leaders. Now, Judas has been a part of the disciples who have been with Christ for over three years. We are told in another of the Gospels that Judas had a full part in the ministry. Judas was the treasurer of The disciples of their little band. They trusted him with the money. And here he is about to betray Jesus. And it is in this context that Jesus brings us this analogy of the vine and the vine dresser, of the plant and the gardener or the farmer who tends to his plants. As much as wheat and corn are staples of our region of the world, so grapes and vines they grow on were common in the land of Israel. Israel had an agriculturally based economy in the first century. Grape and wine production were a major industry in the country. And Jesus uses this easily understood analogy and picture that the disciples would have been very aware of to portray the relationship between himself and the Father and two different kinds of branches that he talks about. And uses those branches to talk about the work that the Father does. In verse 1 of John 15, Jesus tells the disciples, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. The symbolism, the symbolism of a vineyard is used frequently in the Old Testament, and it's used of the nation Israel. One such passage is Isaiah chapter 5, where rebellious Israel produces only useless grapes, wild grapes that are unfit for making wine. Verse 3, and now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. This is the Lord speaking, judge between me and my vineyard. What more, what more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. Jesus God the Father, we're looking for the nation Israel, to produce good fruit, and they produced bad fruit in its place. They produced bloodshed. Israel, God's chosen people were the vine. Israel disobeyed God, followed other gods, and produced bad fruit. As Jesus is speaking to his disciples on this night, he is saying, "I am the true vine." He is making the connection between the Old Testament, Israel, and himself. This true vine, this Jesus, is the fulfillment of the promises given to Abraham in Genesis 12 to bless all the families of the earth through him. This Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. He is the Savior, who is the fulfillment of the promised prophet, priest, and king, the descendant of King David, who will rule over God's kingdom forever and ever. This Jesus is what the Old Testament saints of Hebrews 11 were looking forward to as the fulfillment of the promise made to them by God. This Jesus is what Israel was meant to be, a faithful light to the nations. But they failed. They fell. This Jesus is thus the true vine. He is the one who perfectly kept the law, who loved the Lord his God with all his mind, heart, and strength. He produces the fruit that is good and is the one who will produce good fruit in those who are his children. It is Christ who is the source of life for God's people. Jew and Gentile alike, he is the true vine, as promised in the Scripture. He is the source of life for us. The vine, obviously, a symbol of life, a symbol of the spiritual nourishment that we need as believers. One other thing Jesus says here that's interesting, he starts with the word, two words, I am. I am the true vine. Now this is the seventh time in John's Gospel John has recorded Jesus using this I am statement. Well, the disciples would have known what he meant. I am is the special name for God given to Moses as God speaks to Moses from the burning bush calling Moses to deliver his people from Egypt. Calling Moses to lead the exodus to the promised land. I am. So when Jesus is saying, I am, he is saying, I am the divine one who spoke to Moses from that burning bush in the desert. And as John records, this I am statement is used many times by Christ. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now finally, I am the true vine. These are just different dimensions, different ways of looking at who Christ is and what he does. He is the true vine. It is only by believing in Him that we have eternal life, be spiritually nourished, grow in the faith, and bear good fruit. Now there's a second person mentioned here at the end of verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Throughout this evening before His crucifixion, Jesus has been talking about the close, intense, intimate relationship of him and the Father. He will go on in John 16 and 17 and talk about it even more. When Jesus says, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser, he is distinguishing his role from that of his Father. And that, that verse one also carries that idea that Jesus is, that the Father is the vine dresser, carries us into verse two, and the two types of branches that the Father as the vine dresser works on. Verse two of John 15. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. This idea that the the branches that do not bear fruit, he takes those away. It's actually literally the idea of cut off. There is a play of words in the Greek. And the idea is the branches that do not bear fruit, they're cut off. Taking a knife and cutting them off. But he also cuts on the branches that do bear fruit. But he doesn't cut them off prunes them. There's a big difference between cutting something off and pruning it. Jesus is going to talk about that difference. Jesus tells us here that the Father has two duties that he's performing. The first duty of the Father is to cut off the unfruitful and dead vines, to just cut the branches off. The second duty of the Father is is the continuing work of pruning to eliminate those parts of the plant that would sap energy from the branches so that they would bear more fruit. The branches that do not bear fruit, which the Father takes away, that He cuts off, represent those who have professed faith in Christ, but their lack of fruit indicates they do not have genuine saving faith. Rather, they have a dead faith, and they are reserved for judgment, as seen in verse 6. Look at it with me, John 15, verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away, like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Notice very clearly the distinction between the branches that bear fruit and those that do not. It is a constant recurring theme in the ministry of Christ and in the Bible as a whole. Here are the words of Christ from Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Now the branches that do bear fruit, These branches represent true believers. And the Father cares for them and tends to them by pruning them with the purpose that they will bring forth even more fruit. You see, good trees bear good fruit. Bad trees bear bad fruit. A good heart produces good. A bad heart produces evil. There is a connection between the condition of the heart and the production of fruit in the life. We as Jesus' followers, those who claim to follow him, who believe in him, are like branches that bear fruit. Fruit is in every Christian's life. Sometimes you have to look very, very closely to see it, but it is there. Every believer bears fruit. Notice the relationship of Jesus Christ with the Father and the relationship of salvation to good works in Ephesians 2. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2 with me. We're going to go to verse 8 of Ephesians 2. We will see in Ephesians 2 the gospel of Jesus Christ, the free gift of salvation that is ours in Christ. But oftentimes we stop just after verses 8 and 9. and We don't read verse 10. Today we're going to read 8 and 9. We're going to see the great gospel of Jesus Christ, the free gift of salvation that is ours because of what Christ has done on the cross. Follow along with me as I read. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is the free gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. My salvation is not a result of my works. My salvation is not a result of the good things I am doing. As a matter of fact, I am a sinner. And my righteous deeds, Isaiah tells us in chapter 64, are filthy rags before God. Why? Because they're not done for God's glory. They're done for my own glory. They're done for somebody else's glory, but not for God's. It is only by it is only by the gift of god the grace that he bestows on us that we have eternal life that we have salvation but this salvation is not to no end it is not so that we can sit back and just do nothing now just let go and let god take over but rather there is a purpose behind it look at verse 10 For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. We are God the Father's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Oh, So good works are to follow my faith. They are a result of my faith. I do not gain salvation because I've done good works. It does not go, I do good works and now I'm saved. It doesn't work that way. I am saved by the grace of God. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. And now I will do good works. So let's be clear regarding what Jesus is saying here in John 15. He's saying there is no such thing as a believer who does not bear some fruit. Fruits are a result of salvation. Just like a lion will roar because he is at heart a lion, so will a believer do good works, produce good fruit, because a believer has been given the heart of a believer. Did you catch that? We do good works because our hearts have been changed. God has transformed us. He has made us a new creature in Christ. We have new hearts. Romans 6 makes clear, every believer has everlasting life, and every believer bears good fruit. The believer in Christ is a new creature with a new heart. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are now slaves to righteousness. We are now free to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. This service will result in good fruit. It will result in good works that manifest itself in love. Paul makes the point in 1 Timothy 1. The aim of our charge is love. That issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The aim is love. Galatians 5 says the same thing. Verse 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Whether you're a Jew or whether you're not a Jew, whatever your religious background, whatever you come from, doesn't mean a thing, but only faith working through love. Sounds pretty close to what Jesus says down at the end of our scripture reading today. Verse 17. Well, let's pick it up in verse 12. He says it twice. John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Now the direct application of this passage is he's speaking to the 11 remaining disciples. But it transcends them and applies to us as well. Just like we must abide in the true vine we are commanded to love one another. Our faith is to manifest itself in love. A couple of notes of caution here before we move on. There's a couple of words at the start of verse 2. In me, every branch in me that does not bear fruit. Well, those little words, in me, have caused some to say these branches represent those who have lost their salvation. These words do not mean that these branches that are to be burned up are believers. They are not. Verse 6 makes that very clear. They are thrown into the fire. That is eternal judgment talk. And Jesus has made it clear earlier in John chapter 6 and John 10 that those who are his true children can never be snatched out of his hand or the Father's hand. Let's go back to John chapter 6, just a few pages in front of John 15, and look at that passage. I want us to have this firmly fixed in our mind. John 6. And we'll pick it up in verse 35. Jesus speaking to the crowds. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. There's one of those I am statements again. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast You have come to Jesus. He will not cast you out. Reinforced over in John chapter 10. Let's turn over there. John chapter 10. We're going to pick it up in verse 22 this time. This is a passage where Jesus is talking about himself as the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. Verse 22. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. In other words, look at what I do. Look at the fruit. Look at the works that I'm doing. Those are the works of Messiah. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Believers will not be thrown into the fire and judged. Rather, they are eternally secure in Christ. Also, Matthew 7, verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. The book of Hebrews that we just studied through with Pastor Pat makes it clear there were some who were a part of the church there who were not committed to Christ but we're tempted to shrink back from real faith. The parable of the sower in Matthew 13 reminds us that some seed falls on rocky soil and sprouts up quickly, and then when the sun comes out and the scorching heat bears down, what happens? They wither and fade away. Also be careful Don't push analogies and parables too far. A parable is meant to make one or two main points. Don't force every aspect of a parable into some unintended meaning. Remember also, the Apostle John spoke of this in his first letter. 1 John chapter 2 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. In other words, these are people that We're a part of the church for a time, but now they are apostates and they have left because they were never really of us. There's a great warning here for us. It's a great warning for those who come week after week after week to Omaha Bible Church and sit, but the life doesn't show any real fruit. And they like to listen. They like the social aspects of church. They enjoy Pastor Pat's preaching. Maybe you're one of those people. We know they're here. Herod loved to listen to John the Baptist. But Herod was not truly a follower of John the Baptist. He just thought he was a good speaker. And Pastor Pat's a good speaker, no doubt about it. It's a good preacher. Fun to listen to. Does wild things up here sometimes. It's great, isn't it? Adds a little humor to it. I'm not good at humor. Pat is, Mostly. But this is a somber warning. There are branches that look like they're part of the vine, but they're really dead. Second Corinthians 13, Paul exhorts us to periodically examine ourselves to see if we are of the faith. Now that's not on every page of the New Testament. It's not even in every book of the New Testament. But once in a while, it's a good idea to step back and ask. Have I really, really trusted in Christ? Am I really His child? Is there fruit in my life to show that? Because if there's one point of John chapter 15, it is that the fruit will prove, will demonstrate your true faith. It will not save you. It is a result of your faith. But it must be there. We must abide in Christ. We must cling to Him. We must rely upon Him. We must trust in Him and Him alone. Now let's turn our attention to the second duty of the Father that Jesus tells us about here in John 15, verse 2. His continuing work of pruning to eliminate those parts of the plant that would sap the energy from the branches so they can bear even more fruit. So what's the problem? Why does the Father need to do this? Why is it that we as believers still have things wrong in our lives? Why is there still sin here in my life? Why is there suffering? Why is there pain in my day-to-day existence? Why do I sin? Why do I get angry? Why do I blow up? Why do I sulk? Why do I roll my eyes sometimes when my wife says something? Why do I respond the way I respond? Instead of responding always with the fruit of the Spirit, with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What's wrong? Well, what's wrong is sin. I still am a wretched sinner i still have a sin nature even though god has created in me a new heart he's made me a new creature that is still there and it's not only there in me i'm surrounded by it aren't i there is sin all around this world that we're in jesus said we are to be in the world but not of the world why because this world is a place of sin of corruption of pollution there is sin all around us. And then there is the temptations of the evil one, right? Our adversary, of Satan. He's using my sin nature. He's using the sin of the world. He's combining all these things, and he's trying to tempt me to look at anything but the true vine. To look at false vines. To look at false gods and false idols. Again, they can be many different things in our lives but there is still sin that must be dealt with. Yet in the midst of this world of sin, Jesus holds out a promise for us in these verses. He promises that those that are true believers, those that partake of the true vine, will bear good fruit. And there is one more truth we are told at the end of verse 2. Every branch that does bear fruit, He, that is the Father, the vine dresser, prunes. That it, the branches, that the branches who are believers in Jesus Christ may bear more fruit. You see, God is pruning us, the Lord is pruning us, God the Father is doing this, the vine dresser is doing this, so that He might maximize our yield, so to speak, so we would bear more and more fruit. He does not leave us alone. This is of great significance. God the Father is the vine dresser. He is the gardener. He is tending the garden of His children. And the Father is pruning us. The Father is working on us. The Father is tending to us in such a way that we are growing in Christ-likeness and bearing more fruit. Just like a vine dresser in a vineyard is pruning and trimming the grapevine to produce more and more fruit, so too is our Heavenly Father. He is pruning us to produce fruit for His glory. And how often does the vine dresser go into his garden to tend his vines? Well, in a vineyard, they do it every day. Day in and day out, and day in and day out it doesn't stop. It is a continual activity. So too, God is pruning us day in and day out. The Father is pruning us every day. He is working on us. How often? How much? How well does He know us? How intimately is He acquainted with us? How intimately is He involved in our lives? Turn back with me to the Psalms. Psalm 139. The Psalms are great because over and over and over in the Psalms, you see the psalmist pleading with God. It's a a very personal, one-on-one relationship between the author of the psalm and God the Father himself. And here in Psalm 139, we have a great example of it. Very famous psalm. Many of you may have memorized parts of this. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, in the grave, you are there if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Our Heavenly Father is even in the darkest places and in every moment and in any circumstance of our lives the psalmist is trying to paint the picture when i'm at the if i was at the depths of the sea in the deep of the deep of the deep of the ocean father you are there leading me by the hand and holding me securely wow that is incredible The work he is doing in believers' lives right now, today, is just that work. This is a theme we see carried out in other passages in the New Testament. In Hebrews 12, that Pastor Pat talked just a couple weeks ago, we are told the Father disciplines us because we are his children. Matter of fact, we are told there that if he doesn't discipline us, It's a sign that we're illegitimate children, that we really don't belong to Him. But He disciplines us because we are His children for our good, that we may share His holiness. Wow, so I can share His holiness? His perfection? For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We also know from Paul's words in Romans 8, verse 28, that our Father causes all things to work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose, to his children, to his sons, to his heirs, to those who have an inheritance with him because of the work of Christ Christ. Now, sometimes the pruning knife hurts, doesn't it? Sometimes we wonder if the Father has left us because it hurts so much. The Father may use sickness. He may use hardship. He may use loss of material goods. He can use loss of a loved one. Grief in relationships even war, or slander, lies told about you, stories that are untrue, or any other of a great laundry list we could go through. But through these troubles, God prunes off all the things that hinder us and keep us from bearing fruit. Affliction makes us ready for the pruning knife as the, so the vine dresser can do his surgery. So he can work on us. Bring us to himself. Cause us to cling to the true vine. To abide in him. Because we so easily get distracted. What's the warning in the book of Hebrews? What, what is, the, what is the, the charge given to us? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Because we so easily drift away. We so easily look for something else. Notice that it is in all things, in every circumstance of life, in sadness and sorrow, in joy and happiness, in times of material blessing, in times when we have little. All these things, and all these times, the vine dresser, our Heavenly Father, is pruning us. Our union with Christ through his work on the cross and the coming of the Holy Spirit is entirely consistent with what Jesus says in verse 5. Look at John 15, verse 5 with me. I am the vine. There he says it again. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Let's grab a hold of that and not let go of it. Apart from me, apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. We must remember Christ. We can do nothing of spiritual significance without Him. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. It is through abiding in him by God's grace alone, through faith alone, through the printing of the vine dresser that God will bring us through the trials, the tribulations, the troubles of this life, and ultimately to dwell in glory. Which brings us to this question. When is the work of the vine dresser in the vineyard done? When is the work of the farmer done? When he reaps the harvest, right? When he brings in the crop. When the vine dresser harvests the grapes and makes the wine. That's when he's done. Well, see, we're kind of in the same boat. Our Father's work will ultimately be done. This work of pruning and changing us into the image of Christ will be done when we are with Christ, when he returns ultimately. Philippians 1, 6 says, Paul writes, I am sure of this, that he, the Father, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. There is assurance and security there, a promise from God that he will complete this work that he is doing. You see, our Heavenly Father is working on us on a scale of years and decades. Sometimes change comes faster than at other times for us. But our Father is patient, and he prunes us throughout our lives. One key to fighting this war with sin that we're engaged in, to fighting it well, is to lengthen our view of the battle. If you think that one week of combat will win, if you think this is a one-and-done kind of a thing, if you think there's a quick fix or an easy answer to this sin thing in your life, well, you have disappointment coming your way. Clearly, clearly our salvation is in Christ. But as we walk day to day, as we walk as Christians, we will not be what God ultimately has for us until we are with Him in glory. You see, this battle against sin, too often our practical view of our growth in Christ and our sanctification, which is what that is, our growth in Christ, we take a really short-term view. I want it fixed this week. I want it fixed this month. I don't want to have to deal with this thing anymore. But let's look at church history. Let's look at local churches. Let's look at families or look at individuals. Look at the people of the Bible. Read your Bible. They all have a history and they keep making history. Things are never finished. No one ever says, I've made it. No more places I might stumble and fall. No more hard choices to make in this life. Those are over. Look at yourself. Life never operates on cruise control, does it? It doesn't like getting in your car and setting it and go. There is always something that the vine dresser is pruning, some difficult lesson that the Father is teaching the children he loves. And know for sure, if you think things are just going along swimmingly, something's going to come along. If you don't believe it, ask the person sitting next to you. They'll tell you. They'll tell you. The living God seems content to work in individuals like you and me on a scale of years and decades. Indeed, a whole lifetime. At every step, there's some issue. What will you choose? Will you choose to follow the true vine? Or will you seek to follow false ideas? Trust in men. Trust in yourself. Trust in your own good, hard work. Trust in your own intelligence and your own smarts. Or maybe you trust your husband or your wife. You know, they always make good decisions. I'm going I'm to stick with them. They'll make me feel better. They'll make me feel fulfilled. Well, they're not the true vine. And apart from the true vine, you can do nothing. We must rely on. We must cling to. We must abide in Jesus Christ. God takes his time with us. The Father is teaching his children that he loves. And it's no accident that God is love and love is patient fit together seamlessly in the scripture. They're both there. God is love. God is patient. Keep those things before your mind when you run into the trials and the troubles and the tribulations and the difficult times. Be it problems at work or problems at home. God is love and God is patient. He is there. Jesus promised to be with us always, to never leave us or forsake us. He is there. The Father is the vine dresser and He is pruning. So don't be discouraged, but rejoice. He is there. As believers, the Father is working on us even today. The vine dresser is pruning us. He's pruning us in our happiest moments. A matter of fact, those are some of the most dangerous. When we've had great material blessing and, and everything's going great, it's easy to forget that there's God, isn't there? It's easier to think that, well, look at how good I'm doing. He's with us in the down times, too, in the hard times. And let's not think of these things in some casual, abstract, or general way. Let's understand and realize the vine dresser is working in each and every scene and each and every event of our lives. For while God is great and awesome, He is the creator of the universe, He is transcendent above all things, He is also the God who is near, the God who sent His Son to become a man to earth, to become the God-man, he knows the number of hairs on our heads. He is present with us in every moment of the day, as we read in Psalm 139. And He is intimately involved with us as His children. So as you get ready for church, guess what, He's there. I can think back when I had four kids at home, right? And At one time they were little, now they're all taller than me, except for one. I can think back and... You know, some of the most frustrating times, it seems to me, was getting ready for church in the morning and trying to get everybody out the door so we could be to church in the morning on time. Okay, I'm church administrator for a reason. I like to be on time. All right, I like things to be organized. I like things to work. All right, And I would get so angry. And we'd finally get in the car. And it's like we'd been through a day full of war already by the time I'd get in the car. And I look back at that and I say... You know, God was working in that. Because there came a time where he taught me, am I called to be angry about not getting to church on time? Is that that really exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit in my life? doesn't mean that getting on church is a good thing to do on time, but was it really good for me to get angry about that? Well, God was working on me even then, wasn't he? Trying to reveal to me that I wanted things my way, and if they didn't go my way, I was going to get angry about it. So it was my kingdom come and my will be done, or I'm going to get mad. God's worked on me since then. Four kids moved out. No, <laughs> Even this morning, I'm driving to church, Okay, coming down good old Interstate 680 here. And there's this sporty white Dodge Viper, okay? I can see him coming in the rearview mirror, and he is flying. He must be going 85 or 90, okay? I got my little putz around car, you know, barely doing the speed limit. He goes blasting by me. He must have been going 85 or 90, like I said. I'm going. I hope he gets it. I've decided I'm judge and jury. I'll get that guy, okay? My blood pressure went up just a little bit. Why? Has God called me to be the policeman of Interstate 680? No. Of course, my wife's sitting there, you know, and she's going, well, this is is a common thing with driving. I mean, God is working on you when you're driving, let me tell you. You I pull up the 90th and Dodge Street. You ever try to go through 90th and Dodge Street at like 430 to 530 at night? You back yourself up for like six or seven blocks, right? Well, I'm in a hurry, God. I got places to be. Don't you know? You think God doesn't know there's a backup at 90th and Dodge and he stuck me right in the middle of it for a reason? Absolutely he does. He's working on me. He's trying to teach me to rest in him, that he's got control of these circumstances. And he just calls me to be faithful, to follow his commands in the words of Jesus from John 15. He's revealing my heart that sometimes I don't abide in the true vine. I run off. And I abide in whatever it might happen to me. Usually it's my pride. Usually it's my self centeredness. But He's working on us. And He'll work on you this afternoon when you leave. So let's ask the Lord for eyes to see how He is working on us. And for hearts that will repent before Him and turn to Him in those times when we respond in ways and think in ways and behave in ways that don't show forth love. Because he's called us to love. In every circumstance of life. Not just when it happens to fit my own little scenario that I'd like to see work out the way I want it to work out. We can take great comfort in the fact that as we spend time with our friends, as we spend time with our neighbors, with our husband, our wife, our family, whoever it might happen to be, that the vine dresser is there and he is working he is always with you the lord jesus the true vine has promised he will never leave us and forsake us he will be with us always and our heavenly father the vine dresser is always pruning us for our good let's pray Oh, Heavenly Father, give us eyes to see the things in our lives the way you see them. Give us eyes to take a critical look at times, Father, of the things that are going on and the way we respond, the way we react, the way we think. Help us see our hearts, Lord, and help us to turn them to you. We are so thankful, Father, that even when we are faithless, you are faithful. We are so thankful, Father, that you have promised to hold us securely by the hand and never let us go. You have promised, Father, to even lead us by the hand as we abide in your Son and call upon him. For he is the true vine. He is the one who redeems us. He is the one who paid the penalty for my sin that I deserve to pay. He is the one, Father, that we worship and adore before whom every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. Holy, holy, holy are You, Father. We praise You for Your work in our lives. Do not leave us alone, Lord. We ask that you would knock down our little house of cards and cause us to turn to you, that you would produce more and more fruit, that you would grow us, Father, to be the children that you want us to be, that we would grow in Christ likeness as we walk through the days, the weeks, the years, and the decades of our lives. We are so thankful for the great work that you do. And we are thankful, Father, that there will come a time when there will be no pain and sorrow, when there will be no sickness, when Christ returns. We look forward to that return, Father. We look forward to that time of great rejoicing when we will be with the Lord and all will be right with this world and with us. For, Father, we are humbled by how great you are. And we are humbled by the great work you have done in your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.